This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah! Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah! But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Thanks for listening to The World We Deserve, the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's True Detective Anthology, brought to you by Bald Move. This conversation covers Season 1, Episode 6, titled Haunted Houses. From the dusty mesa in 2002, Rust has continued his investigation into a series of murders that he believes are tied to Tuttle's schools. Defying his boss's orders, he pays Tuttle a visit, which results in his suspension. In 2012, the detectives reveal to Marty that Rust has been spotted at several crime scene investigations, and they believe he's the killer. In response, Marty walks out. Shortly after, Rust flags him down on a back road, says that they should talk, and offers to buy him a beer. Actually, why don't you buy me a beer? Probably the most interesting part of it is his investigation of Tuttle, but I think it connects in a lot of ways, both you know directly and indirectly to the other people he talks to. When he goes to talk to Therio, I thought there were some interesting things about what he says about this Austin Farrar guy. Mm-hmm. Rust goes to Therio, and he's like, so why aren't you doing the the tent revival thing anymore? Mm-hmm. And he says, well, there was some vandalism, and then he got a little too into booze, finds those pictures, and then in 95, I guess there's some vandalism to his churches, like after Russ talks to him. Yeah, yeah, some, some, at some tent. point between 95 and 2002. But he it's, had gone away from the Tuttle path as a result of these investigations, and then... Yeah. That, I don't know. I mean, it's... I think you have to there's there's not explicitly drawing the line to tell you exactly how he got to this little shitty thrift shop that he's drinking himself. Yeah, death. yeah. He's, he's doing the rust plan. I mean, that's not necessarily where I'm going with this. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there's maybe a repeated pattern here, because the stuff that Tuttle later says about Austin Farrar yep. is basically the same thing. You know, he you know, got a little too into booze, couldn't be trusted he says something about a man who can't be trusted with a beer, can't be trusted at all or something right. like that. Which I thought was a dig at Rust. Okay. Like he's kind yeah. of sizing Rust up and Rust is looking kind of like he's morphing into 2012 Rust. <laughs> uh, but it's also uh-huh. a dig at the uh, Dariot and the Ferrar guy. And also, I-, I think one thing, maybe if I'm I'm picking up what you're laying down, is that when you hear Tuttle describe what, what happened to Ferrar. Yeah. And then you try to reconcile that with him being a company man back in the 80s. It's hard to do that. Maybe that, you know, Farrar is in the 80s, like not willing to believe this because he sees this, you know, Reverend Tuttle as this great man. And then he later on starts to suspect himself. Or it could be that Reverend Tuttle, once he finds out that people have shown them this information, just has him rubbed out. That's that's kind of where I'm going. Okay, like if you assume that that's the case um, and that Rust is on to something by talking to Tuttle. You also have to wonder if the vandalism isn't a part of Tuttle's strategy to 
get uh, Therio out of the picture. Yeah, you know he, he uh, it's a it's a similar pattern for him. And the more well, you know, it, a lot of this stuff is not surprising. You've been smelling the psychosphere with this, but yeah, you're right because there was a clear the reason he lost his church is because the widow's sons, the Mormons, the Freemasons burnt came it down. in and burnt it down. His roving tent revival was vandalized multiple times. Right, he turned to booze just like Farrar did. You got to wonder if if Tuttle's after him. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't think it's there's curious. Just, I don't think there's just massive disrespect for tent revivals. Like it's a just endemic thing that gangs do in Louisiana. Yeah, the, it's it's a coincidence that a man would have his church burned down and multiple tents vandalized. Sure. So uh, he got the hint. Like, okay, fine, I'll stop. I, I'll stop. Yeah. Because and then he went. He went kind of on the lamb like like Russ did. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, the implication is now that you're you're bringing this into evidence is that what if I don't stop? Like, what if I don't yeah. disappear? Am I going to be next? Yeah, and then Austin Farrar has this accident, yeah. as he calls it. Uh, you got you to wonder. I thought it was interesting, the whole meeting with the Reverend Tuttle. Like, when you first meet him, he just seems like this... And I'm not talking about when we first meet him in, on the task force back in 95, but here in 2002, he's just supremely confident, Yeah, you know, uh, has no fear of rust. But by the end of the interview... Especially when he starts asking Austin Farrar, he mm-hmm. gets very uncomfortable, yeah, and scared. And you can see like a smile on Rust's face too, a yeah. little bit. Like I've been in the room with this guy for more than two minutes. I understand him. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you know, the whole. I wonder if we're supposed to get the fact when he says, you know, people can't trust a beer, you can't trust. He's making a dig at what he thinks is maybe Russ's problem, and then mm-hmm. Russ is like, "You, you size me up and and see that." But I've sized you up even more. I know exactly <laughs> what you're going on. Sure. As far as the investigation, I know that there's a lot of people dissatisfied that we're six episodes in, two to go. And, you know, a lot of people have been following the more Lovecraftian hints that the story is, is giving us. Hmm. We're, okay. you know, I think expecting to see the tentacles to start to pop out. <laughs> and they were getting kind of uh, restless. But honestly, hmm. I thought... There was some really explicitly Lovecraftian moments here, like when he went to investigate the guy who had his son drowned and maybe ate by gators or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, he said it drove his mother crazy. She thought she heard him under the water calling for her. I mean, that's like some, you know, classic old one frogman bullshit right there. Yeah. That's that's some, that's some Lovecraftian imagery. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So I was not sure what exactly they wanted i mean did they want some like hellboy <laughs> stuff to start happening in episode i think six? yes i think literally they want a thousand eyed monster to come out of the sky and i don't think you can rule it out at this point is all i'm saying like i think that i always thought and here's the thing is like from my understanding of lovecraftian um rhythm is it just be build up, build up, build up, build up, and then you might, like if if the Lovecraft theory is true, you might in the final episode see something just fucking mind-bending mm-hmm. that Rust, no one else will see except for Rust, and he'll die, or you'll next see him screaming in a mental ward. Like the fact that you'd actually see like a flipper, yeah. or like someone's eyes blink vertically, or something crazy like that, It's I didn't feel like it was really love, it would be Lovecraftian. Yeah, now that you said the mental ward thing, it's also kind of ties in with what Kelly saw, right? Sure. With the uh, the scarred, scarred-faced man, the the monster, the giant, as she calls him. That, to her, is her monster. Why doesn't Russ treat, trust Marty with this case? Because, you know, going to that school and seeing all that shit, like, you take Marty back... I think he's lost all respect for Marty, yeah. both as a detective and a human being. 
at this point. I mean, he basically says it, you know. How much I, do you think he I've knows been dragging about, you along. You're a nothing. How much do you think he knows about his home life? Uh, he didn't seem to know that much. Hmm. You know, when Maggie comes to him later on and uh, kind of they get it on, he was like, she asked, did you know? And he was like, nope. I wasn't sure if he's being completely honest. He might not know, but I think he suspects. I was surprised because, yes, I don't think he respects Marty as a police for- person, but he does. They did do. I mean, this is coming on the heels of them, you know, killing these guys together and covering it up. Like you would think that, that would give them a bond. <laughs> if nothing else, Rust always has. I know you murdered this dude over your head. Like, look, I need to tell you some things. I need you to shut up. And if you don't, then I'm going to drop a dime on, you know, take us both down. And, you know, I don't care. You know, I don't care. Sure. Uh, I just was really surprised he went completely lone wolf. Do you think it was we're supposed to take that that conversation he had with the police chief was like, I'm not sure if this is all cover up or garden variety incompetence. Mm-hmm. Like he can't even trust Marty to think that this is, you know, how high does the cover up go? Maybe so. I imagine he's a guy who only believes he can trust himself when it comes to this. Um, I, I don't know. Marty is looking disheveled. He's he's either drinking or sleeping around again or something probably in Cole's mind. Mm. Uh, not sure. Before we get too far away from Terry Guidry, I wanted to talk um, a little bit about how, how many fingers, I guess, are pointing at Tuttle. Um, this is yet another connection to Tuttle's schools. Um, he went to Queen of Angels, which was his dad mentions was one. A lot of fingers pointing that direction. Yeah, especially since, you know, you get the whole song and dance about, oh, we lost a lot of records. I'm not sure we'd find. And then like... Uh, yeah. go, go take this gentleman down to a records office. I'll call ahead and let him know you're coming like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was Russ, out of the room. That's a real power <laughs> play for Russ to be like, I'll come back later. Yeah. Like, I don't need I, I guess if you're doing an extra legal investigation, you don't. This is the vigilante question. You don't really need to get the hard evidence. You know, you just need to <laughs> know true. that you there's just... there's fire there. And I think the reverend acting shady as shit gave him that. Uh, we also find out that Tuttle's house was broken into. Two houses. A couple of houses, yeah. And they think that Rust was involved in that sure. while he was kind of off the grid. He comes back, and then all of a sudden the houses are broken into. Um, they're they're putting a lot of pieces together here. That but, And if it wasn't explicit last week's explicit this week, they think <laughs> that Rust killed Tuttle with some kind of accidental drug overdose hot shot kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I'm trying to figure out where that leads for them. Because if they think, oh, maybe Rust was the killer, uh, why would they be after him um, for that if they also think that he killed Tuttle? Like, was Tuttle on to him? What's going through their head? Like, I'm trying to figure out where the pieces are connecting for them. It's, I mean, obviously, we know, I think, as an audience, that that's not true. That's a good point. What is his, you know, if they're... What's his motivation? If their story is that he's killing for kicks... Yeah. And that he is fabricating details from real cases and taking the case where he wants to be because also Marty's got to sum up his ass. I think the detectives have also figured that out, that Marty is not the brains behind the operation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I want, I, yeah, how does the t- Tuttle thing fit in? Like the t- Tuttle sp- task force, maybe that he thinks that they got this theory that he had the task force and uh, he was always kind of keeping an eye out. But, you know, in 2002, <laughs> by 2012, is yeah, sure, 2010, later. surely, like, that's a long time for a private citizen with no authority to hold a grudge. Yeah. Why would Russ like kill it. him? I don't know. 
but, but they seem to be trying to make connections. I don't think they have any. Yet. Well, that's said, that you know, that's why we've de- we debated whether these guys are any good or not. Yeah. And so yeah. it's starting. I'm starting to get the opinion that they are more Marty than they are Cole. Yeah, I think so. Unless Cole's the killer. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny. I mean, at one point in this episode, he he goes off on a fit and says like, oh, "I'm I'm the most sane person here. I'm the least in need of counseling." It's when he he gets suspended. Sure. Uh, and then we smash cut to his apartment where he's got fucking pictures of dead people, crosses, uh, bo- bottles of open and empty bottles of booze, and he's playing he, the <laughs> he's playing the shadows of the antlers over all of with them. a fucking flashlight. He's a lunatic. Yeah. He definitely needs counseling. And I was about to say that this I. At this point, I'm pretty convinced that Rust is the good guy. But they keep Seems doing like shit it, yeah. like that to make you think that, man, this is the guy that might be having psychotic breaks, and it would explain his almost supernatural skill at hmm. solving core piece of the case. Except for, they also show him remarkably good at other aspects of his police job that have nothing to do with potentially killing young men and women. Like his... Yeah. Um, you, you know his his confessions that he gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good it's it's a damn good thing for Russ's reputation as a as a room man as a box man that none of these people ask for a lawyer. <laughs> you know a, yeah. a a public defend like a Saul Goodman class public defender would nip all this shit in the bud. Yeah, and it you know it feels like it feels a little predatory to me. Um, I know sure. these people are committing heinous crimes, they're but bad they're also people. clearly insane. Some of them, yes, I think, and and it, 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 and, and suffering from out and it beg, it's, and it, they don't look like the most intelligent people. It's right. it's almost unfair what he's doing to them, but yeah. they deserve it, you know. Well, I mean, that's you know the 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 fan of the wire in me would ask, hey, if the government had better services for mentally ill people and drug oh, addicts, yeah. and we yeah. didn't have the war on drugs, mm-hmm. so these people could get treatment. May you know? Oh, I'm may, totally with you there. Maybe none of this stuff would ever happen. So that's where it comes wraps back around to be, uh, you know, predatory. Yes, yeah. these people killed innocent people, and they even killed children, and that's heinous. Yeah, but they're clearly not normal and not right. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the tragedies, kind of. Uh, it's there's a little similarities between The Wire and uh, true detective in that it deals with like these these problems of crime and and due process and stuff amongst the instead of the urban poor it's the rural poor yeah absolutely um i was trying to figure out where this munchausen by proxy stuff fits in to the episode as a whole it seems like a complete tangent why have why have this woman in here who's confessing about killing her children well, there's some what some things that didn't make the smelling of psychosphere cut because I just just I didn't think they're that interesting. But mm-hmm. now that you mentioned that, there was a prominent theory about maybe that Rust actually killed his daughter oh, either wow. on purpose or accidentally, and his unable to his his being unable to reconcile. Like you know, it, may, it could have been a situation like he was just drunk. And he should have been watching her on the tricycle and she wheeled out in traffic and he died. So he's extra hard on the people that um, are hurting shit. Like, you know, when he snapped sure. and got in trouble the first time, it wasn't yeah. watching a guy shoot up his infant daughter with speed. Yeah, you know, I mean, this could... woman and and Manchazen by proxy is essentially you taking your issues like Manchazen syndrome is I'm pretending yeah. to be sick so I can be operated on. I can be dealt with by doctor by proxy is then mm-hmm. you project that onto another person. Yeah. So 
literally him accusing her of manchazen by proxy could be him transferring his problem onto her. That sounds like a form of insanity to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, if she truly believes that her children are sick because she's sick, that doesn't seem like someone who's in the right mental state to probably be prosecuted for it. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Like, you're going to go to a psych ward instead of prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got to wonder why Russ tells her... You know, you, you kill yourself because yeah. you're going to prison and it's a bad place for people who hurt children. Well, look, I mean, he does have a very black and white. You know, Russ always talks about how he shades of gray and he sees this, but he does have a very black and white <laughs> sense of morality. You yeah. Know, like Marty blowing Especially, a guy, Marty right. executing justices. Glad you're, you picked a side, brother. You know, the woman who's clearly mentally disturbed or a, a guy whose brain is fried on drugs is fuck him. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I can get that with Charlie Lang because he just seems like your garden variety shitbag. Uh-huh. He doesn't seem particularly crazy. He's just selfish, ignorant, stupid yeah. person. Yeah. Whatever. But some of these other people is a little bit more like I think you said the right word, predatory. He he feels it 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 feels the exact same way that like a a, a cop uh hassling a bum for sleeping on a bench in the you know, you know for vagrancy. Mm-hmm. It's like you know what you, that's not heroic, right? No. No, it's it's not really helping anybody. No, no. And I mean, that's part one of the points that, uh, you know, because Nick Pizzolatto is from this part of Louisiana. And a lot of the things that he put in the story are things that he found uncomfortable or things he have had a hard time reconciling. So I think there's yeah. a little bit of social criticism in here, too. Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, that's smattered throughout the uh, commentary as well for the these other couple episodes. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you hit the nail on the head with with Rust you know, kind of doing this Munchausen by proxy thing where he's so driven to, I mean, this case, this whole case, he's driven to figure out because of what happened to his daughter, right? He doesn't want to see these children hurt. And that's what he's trying to prevent. tempted back to his cheating ways by a now legal Beth, the underage prostitute that he encountered in 1995. Maggie gets suspicious and finds pictures of Beth on Marty's phone. She enacts a plan to have sex with Rust to drive Marty away, which leads to a fist fight between the two men. We thought that Marty had changed his ways, for the most part. Um, we knew that it had to blow up at some point, and this episode we get to see that. It does seem like it's connected to what his older daughter's going through. Like that yeah. he Marty has this very tribal and and Neolithic sense of what a family means to a man. Yeah. And just the fact that his daughter is living in a way that he doesn't approve of is like a you know, as as offensive to him. And mm-hmm. you can see him like, you know, when he's going to store and he's buying like just <laughs> a grocery cart shopping bag full of tampons. Yep. Like, ah, I'm stuck in this house with three fucking women that don't respect me and don't like me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he beats the shit out of the dudes that had sex with his daughter, but then he throws up because he knows that solved nothing. He has yeah. no control over his daughter. Sure. Um, and that's that lack of control is bugging him. And it seems like it manifests 
in him being unable to control himself. Because when I was seeing him fall for this uh, Beth woman, who we know he first met as a 16-year-old prostitute. Yeah. Uh, and it's, what, uh, seven years later, so she would be 23. Yeah. But the fact that it, it's not so much the age difference and the fact that he's married as so much that he knows this girl is damaged goods. Sure. And she, he also knows that he had kind of like an authority figure... And then she confirms it later by saying, oh, you're a hero and all this. It's like mm-hmm. he's clearly taken advantage of this of this woman. And, you know, he was so self-righteous about it at the whorehouse. Yeah. And now he arguably is yet another man in her life that is using her mm-hmm. for his own purposes. I, the, Marty's hypocrisy is is staggering. And, and I'm, <laughs> I'm struggling to remember how he exactly, or even if he does exonerate himself or, or, or turn itself around and, and, and not be just a, just a guilty, you know, son of a bitch. Yeah. No, He's I a mean, low right... speed, high drag son of a bitch <laughs> and I don't have any use for him. There are a couple of things though, that are said about both Rust and Marty in this episode about them being good men. You know, Beth says to Marty, you're a good man. Um, Maggie tells the detectives, I knew Rust to be a good man. After last episode where they had the conversation about definitely being bad men. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of imagery tied in with that, too, where, you know, Marty gets done fucking Beth and he looks over at the shelf and boom, there's a devil. With of an, course, a, with a chorus an, of angels behind. Them. Yes, there is an angel right next to it. And Marty's focused on the devil part. I think, right. you know, that's supposed to say, oops, look what I've done. Sure. I'm a bad man. Little on little on the nose there. Sure. Uh, I also think that there is something telling with the Mag- conversation that the police had with Maggie, where she's like, you know, Russ knew who he was, and this is something we've heard even Russ say. Um, mm-hmm. And Marty never did. And I think that's probably true. Like, if Marty wasn't married, and he's just, you know, a pussy hound and fucking around, it's like, there's, there's not really a big problem. Uh, he's definitely got a problem with jealousy and violence and all that stuff, but... He's yeah. got a conflict between what he says he wants versus what he really wants and, you know, like what he's supposed to do versus what he actually wants to do. Mm-hmm. And it it uh, it's super corrosive to him. Yeah. And I mean, the you know, you said the hypocrisy is on display here. I, I think when when Maggie sits down, first of all. I don't think Maggie had any idea what was going on until he says, oh, this pasta is great because reheated pasta is never great. <laughs> reheated pasta is the worst. Okay. Uh, so she and he clearly... eats like a three-year-old. He eats like he a does. fucking three-year-old at a high chair. Uh-huh. Like, You're I, supposed I'm to surpri- roll the fork, Marty. Yeah, like I'm surprised <laughs> he even used the fork. He should have gone to the end, maybe smeared uh-huh. it in his hair. Yep. Uh, you throw it a little bit on the floor. It's like I just couldn't, I couldn't believe a grown man ate spaghetti like that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can imagine it's just as Woody jarring. Harrelson on the set going watch this guy. Remember the episode of like Mad Men where they're at like I don't know a Red Lobster or something, or all these men in suits, and then oh, yeah. in unison they all put on the ridiculous bibs with uh-huh. the giant cartoon lobster on it, and it's just like <laughs> you've taken respected middle aged businessmen and reduced them to toddlers. That's what I felt watching this this scene. Yeah, yeah, it was great. But I don't know. There's there's a lot of stuff here. You know, his, his hypocrisy really comes out when he calls her a whore after oh, she crush. sleeps with Rust. Uh, Although Maggie's got some problems too, Maggie. Oh yeah, I mean, going to sleep with Rust is obviously a power play here. She's trying to hurt Marty 
Um, and she's using and rust. She, yes. And she is apologetic for it at the end, but that doesn't matter. No, it doesn't still, matter. She still used him. Yeah. And like, I don't have, like, uh, if she fucked that stranger, wouldn't really care. But Rust hasn't done anything to deserve. And I think that Rust, yeah. like they, they showed this from the first episode. He had some kind of connection with her. Mm-hmm. And when he realized that it wasn't about that, it was yeah. about this other thing. He was just, I think, justifiably enraged yes. and disgusted. I, I agree. And she she felt bad for it, but she still did it. So so doing that is one thing. And then after she saw Rust have that reaction, I thought, well, maybe she'll consider it. She'll say, hey, I just cheated on you, and I'm not going to tell you who. Nope. And then she's like, well, it's some... But when she actually fingers Rust as it, I'm like, yeah. that ah, is really hard to be sympathetic I mean, that's, for. That, that's the kind of calculated malice that is... I don't know, somehow less understandable than what Marty does. At least Marty doesn't know what he's doing and isn't doing it necessarily with malice, but she, and and I agree, she's hurt, and Uh she probably is within her right to go get back at Marty for for all of this, but the way she went about it is a a little despicable, in my opinion. The thing that she does to Rust. I agree with the element that's to to the extent that it's to Rust, but I don't really have a huge problem with how she went about i mean she tried to just leave and say this is unacceptable i'm not putting up with it and marty refused to let it happen yeah so now she's saying now he'll have to i have i I have to do something to to break this crazy hold that you i have to make you literally disgusted with me which i get like i that's that's even fine i just the the really low blow was dragging rust into it that's the thing i'm not saying like the cheating is is particularly bad here. What I'm saying is, like, if you compare it to what Marty does with Beth, Marty doesn't really realize how much he's hurting Beth mm. um, when he's sleeping with her and taking advantage of this this girl who's. Do you think he's willfully ignorant though? Because he sure as shit is able to uh, to spot the damage when other people are doing it. Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, but what but, okay. Maggie does to Rust is particularly disgusting. In my it opinion. is premeditated, and like I said, the the element I have problem is is the fact that Rust got called up into it. But yeah, you know, otherwise That's the only it's problem just, I have <laughs> it's just her. I mean, Marty deserves what he got. Oh yeah, uh, and you know, I, I yeah. So I think I guess I guess I've said everything I want to say about that particular point. Okay, of it. Uh, I I do want to say that. The tension that they're able to generate from the moment she sees the thong pick of Beth and just Marty sitting there oblivious. Like the only thing yeah. you can think of is the this pasta scene in the living room. Yeah, and then he's he's kind of poking fun at the fact that his eldest daughter I mean, this you gotta take this in context of a man who went and beat two men like animals because he's uh-huh. a cop and he also has, you know, their live kind of dangling in his hand, his hands. And then rubs her face into it and kind of like jokes like, oh, I see that. Yeah, I don't care. Contrasted that with the giant s- storm that is brewing on the couch next to him that he doesn't even yeah. see. And uh, I mean, we're fresh off last episode where he slapped his daughter across the face. Yeah. Uh, called her a slut. Like, I, there's so much tension in this scene. It, it, from is, everywhere. it is palpable. And it's leaking. In, it's also leaking into the younger daughter, too, right? Like, she can she can feel this. Yeah, she knows something is not right here, and is she's checking is out. smart enough to head out of this room. Yeah, like I'm quickly. I'm not gonna wait till someone slams my head against the door. I'm just gonna go study. Yeah, 
Uh, and I thought they were going to have it out just right then and there because I think I thought originally what was saving Marty was his daughters, but no, <laughs> I she too, had yeah. a longer a longer con in plan. Oh yeah, I thought it was a, I, their line I really liked is when she went over to Rust and she's like all about you know her and Marty, and then she like looks around the everything and's like horrified like you would be, uh-huh. and she goes, "You can't live like this." And his comment like people give advice are usually talking to themselves. I thought that was hmm. really cool. Like, I can't believe okay. I didn't hang on to that one for future use the first time through this this series. But that, <laughs> I think that's this like outright wisdom. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. I'm curious why Maggie lies to the detectives in 2012 about this whole thing. Wouldn't it help to clear Rust's name up a little bit if she said, "Oh yeah, the the rift between the two was caused by me"? Like, is she? ashamed of what she's done and doesn't want to talk about it is she unconcerned with it and just wants this to go away why why doesn't maggie tell the truth here i don't know because it feels like that maggie being the type of person you would would maybe feel guilty about that but then again i feel like if she felt guilty about it that would have changed how she handled things between her and marty like she wouldn't have thrown in like i fucked russ you know she had the ifr moment I so maybe she yeah. just doesn't feel guilty. I don't think she feels guilty. I like, think she feels totally justified with what she did to Marty. And I also feel like that maybe she thinks she doesn't believe. I wonder if when she went to R- Marty or Rust and said, did you know? And he said, yeah, I did. I, you know, he's my partner. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It's none of my business. But I knew if she would have done. But when she opened up the episode with like, you know, I used to struggle dealing with crude men who thought they were clever. Mm-hmm. I kind of think she throws rust into that. Like she, he's a good man in the way that Marty's not. Yeah, it's but weird. he, she still kind of sees him as a kind of like part of the old system of cover up and good old boys and bullshit and lies. That's my read on mm-hmm. it. I okay. don't think it's accurate, but I think that. If you remove, you know, so what are we in 2012 and this is something that uh, happened in 2000. So you're, you're talking about 10 years down the line. I don't know that she feels obligated to to make things easy on Russ. And also, I don't know that she knows exactly that he's up for like, yeah, murdering children type of thing. Yeah. You got to wonder how much she knows about why she's being called in. Exactly. We have to see what happens next. Um Maybe she's just saying nothing to give them anything, and then she's going to try to reconnect with Russ and find out what the hell's going on. Okay. That would make this scene make more sense. But also, yeah. I think just from the information I have now, it feels like she just doesn't feel like she owes Russ any any more uh, embarrassment for her and her family. Man, that's kind of sad because we know that Rust has done nothing to deserve that, right? No. Yeah, no. I mean, like I said, that's the... that's She has a pretty warped perspective on their relationship if if that's how she truly feels yeah that's the thing like i maybe this is real because i know people do do things like this in the real world to get back at people but i'm sure maggie was always positioned as kind of like smart and kind of like it's the same feeling i had when they had the one thing going with the court reporter and she seemed like you know she knew the score and she was just like hey this this uh, relationship's got an expiration date and marty couldn't accept it and then they retconned that as her being crazy pussy and trying to provoke i feel the same way about maggie like i don't know this actually follows from what they've shown the character like they're retconning her into being as vindictive not giving a shit about anybody except for getting marty out of her house person yeah i mean i think she was remorseful at the time i mean she apologizes profusely as she's doing it but 
I do see why she, there was a she, lot it was of a pe- desperate measure for yeah. sure. I do see why the the a lot of people not a lot. There was just a very few like is Emily is an and like uh, the guy from Grantland, uh, Andy Greenwald, where the the, lead, the ones leading the charge about this being kind of misogynist garbage. Mm-hmm. And I, I clearly don't think that's true. I'm a huge fan of the show, but it does seem like anytime they had a choice between giving a female character some some nuance and some justification and just like making her be uh, a saint and kind of the same way that Rust is, they choose to take it the more conventional crazy bitch route. Um, and I'm not okay. saying that's a fair criticism. I'm just saying I'm starting, you know, starting to see what people were saying about that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I'm totally on board with the read on that, but okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of the, of the three prominent women characters we've met. Mm. They've all been at some point retconned into crazy bitches that, that act I mean, in. You think Maggie is? I no, I mean, I don't think she's crazy, but like what she did to Russ is terrible. It is, but like I said, it's an act of desperation. I mean, she's got to get out of this relationship with I get this it. man, and the I get only it. way to do it is to drive him away. Mm-hmm. And this is like the only thing that will hurt Marty enough to to do that. Mm-hmm. So, like, yes, it's fucking despicable what she does to Rust. I hate it on every level, but at the same time, I understand why she did it. I get it. And if it was, if that was the one thing about the True Detective, I'm just saying that, like. And I'm not saying this is conscious or anything. I'm just saying that, like, if, uh, you know, every time you're presented with a left and right road option, you mm-hmm. always take the left road. See, people can say, hey, you got to you, you have a slight bias, maybe even uh, maybe even subconscious bias towards turning left. And I think that's what mm-hmm. some people are saying about Nick Pizzolatto in this season. OK. Right. And again, it might not be fair. It might not be accurate. It might just be a coincidence of the, the, the narrative and where it took him. But I can. Yeah. And I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying I can see <laughs> where those people are coming from. OK. Whereas last right. year, I'm like, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing we should talk about is the fight, because there's a, a vicious fight at the end between Marty and did Russ. You, did, you, which... did, did you hear the insider piece on this? No, I didn't. What is it? That For the first take, uh, Matthew McConaughey had worked out with the set guys that they had a boom box, and as soon as like Woody Harrison came out the front door, they played the Rocky theme. <laughs> I did hear this, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then they end up doing like uh, a tango and a waltz in the parking lot for the first <laughs> take because it's like... We're about to really go hard at each other, so let's get let's let's keep things light and because I guess they were really uh, in the interviews between the two. I saw, I guess they really connected some of those punches. Yeah, it's bound to happen, you know. I it's bet. you know, it's kind of like when you start playing touch football with with the dudes, and it's like uh, that guy touched me a little too hard next time. I'm uh-huh. getting it, pay him back, and yep. it just turns into a bloodbath before. Yeah, it's and then over. you end up sleeping with rust, and it's yeah a big problem. <laughs> Uh, so I, I really liked this fight. I thought it was, you know, impactful at the end of this episode, which is, you know, another fairly uh, action-free episode for the most part. There's I'll sex, as there usually is in this show. But, sure. you know, it's it's good to get an action scene at the end. Um, and and the way that they they tie in, I think, the taillight and the ending of their relationship and the, the very end of this episode as they drive away with that busted taillight, I thought was really cool at the time. I did too. Um, I mean, it shows, you know, there's this fracture in their relationship, and it is not water under the bridge at this point. In 2012, he still got this broken taillight. Yeah. What does that say about the the rift between the two? I, what does it say about Marty? <laughs> is there, there going to be another fist fight? Marty checks his Marty, fucking gun in his yes, car. Yes, he does, because he just doesn't know. 
I think he's scared of this guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Marty has probably cooled down a little bit, but Mm -hmm. he doesn't know. Rust is looking fucking insane. Yeah. When he comes up to him. I also, you know, speaking of the fight, I thought there was some cool similarities between the fight that Marty and Maggie had, where she starts the observation with this nice ass Marty. And then Russ finishes the fight with nice hook, Marty. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought it was interesting how both of the the people he fought kind of like, uh, and that's the thing is like, they were one of those uh, backhanded compliments because my read of the fight was that Russ was just fighting defensively. Yeah, I, so there's a moment and he was where still someone, handing him his ass. Someone in the background says, "Please, Marty, you're <laughs> getting your ass kicked." <laughs> I thought yes. it was hilarious. Yes, yes. So that was like kind of like, uh, you know, I don't even see you as a threat. The only reason I got beat up as much as yeah. I did is because I was trying to spare you. It was he a is. very is a very emasculating thing to say, and so was a nice ass comment. So I thought that was yeah. that was pretty cool. And it showed Marty and or uh, you know, it's both about his illusions of being a man being shattered. Sure. I'm surprised Rust isn't in jail, not because he's going around murdering or diddling kids, but because he's an alcoholic who drives a beat up pu- uh, uh, pickup truck in a notoriously corrupt state of Louisiana with a broken taillight. Oh, yeah. For yeah. 10 plus years. Mm-hmm. Like how many? I mean, I don't know that you can get 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 away with like, hey, I used to be a cop till I left the force. You know, looking like he does, looking like a, a burnt out hippie. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's probably been arrested like 15 times and then they look him up and they're like, oh, Oh, you're Rust Cole. You're the box man, you know? Yeah, I don't know what his reputation with law enforcement is. It could just as easily be he's a crazy guy That's who true. quit the force because he thought Billy Lee Tuttle was Yeah, the I guess devil. I'm, I'm just going on what they've told us of his, re- his reputation, mm. which is he's this crazy good interrogator. Yeah, yeah, you probably... And the other thing that would probably get him out of jail free is the shootout he had. Oh, because, the hero oh angle. my God, yeah. cops do love a justified killing. Sure. Just from the, yeah. my friends that are one, and, and that's like, you know, like you when, when when Marty was talking about the way I tell this is the same way I tell it from every cop bar, like that's, I imagine they look him up, oh yeah, you're the guy that busted that dude killing them kids. Like that's, that resonates. Hmm. The same way okay. that like the... Like what Marty was saying, though, like the 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 people in the prison, at the lowest rung of society are the ones that abuse children, because even mm-hmm. that even criminals are like, fuck those people. Yeah. Uh, it's just the opposite for cops that like save kids. They're mm-hmm. like the the that's the highest aspiration you can have is to win a shootout with a bad dude and save a kid at the end of the day. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So maybe may I, I guess maybe. I would buy that. I don't care how far he's fallen. He's he's still got. Yeah. Yeah, and they may even see him as like, man, I probably fucked him up. Seeing that kind of shit, I'm gonna give him a break. All yeah. right, solve okay. the case. Case closed. <laughs> I've got I got another case for you to solve. All right. Uh, so the detectives are wondering why Russ went off the grid, where he was, all that sort of stuff. You think there's any chance at the end of this episode with Marty checking his gun is not about Marty being afraid of Russ, but still wanting to kill Rust for what he's done? Because he he shouts at him a couple times, "I'm gonna kill you," you know. He threatens it multiple times in the episode. Um, is there any chance that we're supposed to think that Rust is afraid of Marty? Are you smelling uh, the cycle that's already? He, Are you that, asking me if he's trying to rub out a threat to uh, no, no, no. The, the, his just, cult just connections? The, the anger over sleeping with his wife. Uh, Marty's still super no. angry about it. He's checking his gun. And that's why Rust went off the grid, because Marty was still after him in 2002. Nah. 
Okay. At all, because I don't think Rust is. I don't think so either. I don't I'm think Rust is afraid there. of Marty at all, and I think yeah. Marty. I read Marty as being really afraid of Rust. Okay, me too. I'm so yeah, just throwing it out. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually kind of surprised I didn't see anybody throwing a theory that uh, oh, Marty's going to try to kill Rust because yeah, blah blah blah. Still mad about that. But the other thing hmm. is, whatever has happened in the last ten years, Marty is really it. You know, and we talked about him kind of weighing like, do I really believe this about? rust in the last episode when he got up mm-hmm. with his briefcase he was over this shit yeah like i don't give a shit what he's done i'm not helping you bring him down so that kind of gives us an indication of what he you know he's had 10 years to think about it and and think about his relationship with the partner and kind of his role in all this stuff maybe maybe 2012 marty is a good guy He's more a good guy than 1995, Marty. Or maybe he's closer to it being the type of guy who knows what he wants and knows who he yeah. is. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, he's. St- I think he's still kind of pants shittingly terrified of of Rust. Yeah, and his current looking ain't helping any things either. <laughs> nope. What do you think about the whole? Let me buy you a beer. On second thought, maybe you should buy me the beer. I read that as Rust being broke because he's been on the lam for so long. He's just. Too broke to buy a fucking beer? Too broke to buy someone else a beer. Hmm. Because I was also wondering if maybe that was a power play. Like, you might think I'm sheepish about this. Yeah. But we both know who owes who the apology. I sure. was wondering if there was some of that, too. I think it could be in there, yeah. But, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's going to be super interesting to see them talk things over beers. It's time once again to take a whiff of that that psychosphere. Smells like aluminum and robitussin and gunmetal oil. Uh, you know the lawnmower man speculation died out quite a bit because we talked two episodes ago. There's a lot of speculation about him being Reggie Ledoux because they had a lot of obvious similarities to the the mug shots, and then Reggie Ledoux got his head blown off, and everybody's like, "Okay, well, case closed." Mm-hmm. Uh, things started heating up a bit when uh, some some people did some side by side comparisons of the spaghetti face monster guy with the lawnmower man. Okay, uh, especially since it seems more and more that the Tuttle schools are very much connected, and yeah. we also see that these abandoned Tuttle schools, not just for for overgrown lawns, they're for for some kind of satanic shit going on or some kind of occult mm-hmm. shit. Uh, people. You know, obviously his facial structure with the stringy beard, he's got some some facial scarring. Uh, people suggested that maybe the green ears could have been the woman, the the girl uh, misremembering uh, him wearing like hearing protection, like oh, you know yeah, a lot yeah. of groundskeepers do. Although I don't know in rural Louisiana in two thousand two or ninety five, dudes wore hearing protection mowing the lawns. That's yeah. more of a two thousand fifteen kind of thing, <laughs> suburban dad kind of thing. Uh-huh. Uh, but I thought that the you know that that's that's kind of interesting because they do yeah yeah they look a lot a lot alike same fucked up hair same fucked up beard same fucked up face 
Uh, also, here's the thing I thought was just amazing from a visual standpoint. And also, well, by I, the way, I, I know this is bad podcasting, but we actually post these images in the show notes. I, I want to talk about the spaghetti guy again. Okay. Talk about the spaghetti I, guy. Th- they dropped the thread of spaghetti guy for a little while, didn't they? Like, it seemed like after... I know we talked about this a little bit last episode, but it seemed like after um, the investigation concluded with the killing of Reggie Ledoux, they were just like, okay, it's over. And Russ didn't pick it back up until he, he got the guy raving about the king in yellow. Yes. So at some point, Rust felt like he got the green-eared spaghetti guy. Uh, and when he goes back to... Um, what's her name? Kelly? Uh-huh. The girl that he saved from Reggie Ledoux. Yeah. He asks her, like, was there anyone else? And she starts raving about the green-eared spaghetti guy with scarring on his face, the giant. Well, she doesn't say the green-eared spaghetti. He, she says the man with the facial scars was the worst, the giant. Yeah. Now, I said before when we were having like a pre-podcast discussion that I took that as still us as the audience kind of being on the fence about whether Rust is reading too much into this or not. Because... But if you look at it from like a storytelling standpoint... I think it would be kind of bad form to have him ask that question and then have her answer not be in any way related to that. I get it, but I'm just saying if you just take from if you, you ignore the meta narrative and just okay. say this is a crazy person at a psych ward that's semi catatonic, mm-hmm. a detective that she hasn't seen for ten years starts spouting stuff into her face, and she responds to something and starts screaming. I don't know that you can say that like she was actually responding to the question, were there other men there? Because what her physical description matches Reggie Ledoux to a T. Now you say, uh, I don't think Reggie Ledoux's face was all scarred up. Yeah. But when I was looking for some high res pictures, like I think it's easy to say that his face is scarred up and he's got that scraggly beard covering it. And he's very, very, he's six foot seven. That's a giant, especially to the little kids. I think that one way to read it is that she's just reiterating stuff that he already knows and he's running with it wild. Okay, you can read it that way. I disagree. I think. Oh, I do too. I think that the episodes (laughs) previous to this have told us over and over again, this is what facial scarring looks like. Okay. We've seen, what, three or four different people with facial scarring. Reggie Ledoux does not have that kind of facial scarring. He has like pockmarks from years of acne or something. Okay. so I read it as he thinks he got the guy and he just kind of left that thread unlooked after. Yeah. He just didn't pursue it after that. The interesting thing is for the first time, we don't really get to see Rust's investigation. We only get yeah. to see his investigation uh, little bits and pieces. And then when Maggie walks in on him, so we don't like, it's tempting to say he's dropped the connection to the spaghetti face, green eared man. Mm-hmm. But it's just as fair to say that, you know, he's got that tacked up in his wall sometime, some, somewhere and he is recontextualizing all this and we're just not seeing it yet. Yeah. Yeah, you could you maybe wonder why he was talking so much to Tuttle, you know, why he was focused there. I mean, I know a couple of them showed up at his school, but you got to wonder if maybe he looked at this lawnmower guy and said, oh, he's got facial scarring. He's a big guy. He's connected to Tuttle. Let me go check out Tuttle. I think that's why he wanted to see the payroll records. Like, yeah. I want to see if I can find out who this dude is, you know, because because that's something. And we know that he encountered him first at the school where he found all these devil nets. Do you think that that stuff is still actively going on at the school? Like, you know, when we see the it church, felt like it, yeah, when the church, they had that image of that, that, you know, girl tied up just like we saw Dora Lang. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like that that's something that 
you know, it's it's not like they do like maybe one ceremony and go. I mean, that seems like a congregation. Like yeah. that's something they do over many. Why doesn't anyone just stake this shit out? <laughs> like have have, have schools, you know, I don't get know. It, like Rust. He's uh, got a month off. Get a ghillie suit and some binoculars <laughs> and just spend a couple nights in the weeds outside the school and see what shows up. Like then again, maybe he is because we just we're not sure. we're only seeing a itty bitty part of his investigation. And, yeah. you know, there's one of the reasons the Psychoseer segment so slim is this feels like a lot of this stuff in this episode was more confirmation of things we already suspected. Like, every, yeah. you know, we've saw we said for like the last three episodes, Billy Tuttle's high on everybody's radar. He's got the Masonic ring. Is he connected to Marty? I don't know. But Billy Tuttle is a big thing. This was yeah. Rust now actually running down and say, yes, this is an explicit connection. So it's more there's more people confirming what we already knew than actually new information. Mm hmm. Having said that, another image that I thought was really, really interesting, um, and this isn't like one of those things where it's like five dudes on horses versus five cans versus five kin dolls. This is an explicit, direct reference. Yeah. In the psych hospital, there's a mural of like tulips in a and on like a Windows ninety five background hmm. um, that and he goes like and talks. Big field with the sky. Yeah. When he when he goes to talk to Kelly and she starts screaming. From a few, from three episodes ago, I believe, when Marty is uh, the same scene where he's got the horns on his head, when he's talking to his wife and he says he's fucked up. Very prominent in the scene when when Maggie goes and takes his head to her chest, right over her shoulder is the exact same mural. Yeah. In a photograph. Hmm. This is I don't know how many connections we've made to the to the Hart household and this overall myth arc. And specifically a daughter. Like, you got to imagine that the same daughter drew this picture, right? That was drawing yeah. the pictures of the, of the wieners shit. and the boobs. And, and also the, spi the spiral the, and, like, all of that. Surely it's got to go somewhere. You would think so. Yeah, you would think so. Um, But what is it trying to say? Maybe it's hinting at just a possible future for this daughter. Like, you've got the psych ward here. You've got oh, a daughter who's acting out. Of, oh, I don't, that's a good angle because the way Kelly got here is because she's abducted by a cult and systematically tortured yeah. and driven crazy. From what we know of Marty's daughter, she has got some former uh, uh, trauma. And like we talked about last episode with her, you know, cross and, and the credit sequence that she seems to be ever more central to the plot. Yeah. Uh you know, I'm gearing up to see maybe that we find out that there is a current victim that that Rust's investigation is going to yield be it's going to suck Marty in because Marty's daughter is going to go missing. Could be, and it's it's a race to, to to see if they can rescue her in time. But yeah, that's that is a hell of a coincidence. Yeah, it feels like she's involved with those spiral cults in some way. Some way, I mean, that's yeah. suggesting that because I'm saying, like, I'm not saying that they look like it. I'm saying they're the exact same fucking painting. They are. I mean, it could be a recycling of assets too. Like, eh, no one will ever notice this. Let's, you know, my kid drew this. Let's bring it in and put it on the wall. You know. Yeah, could be, could be. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about that was kind of new and no one really understood what it meant, but someone has a lot of. Um, Thoughts was the mentions of the letters of Telios de la de Lorca, the hmm, okay. uh, Franciscan mystic that uh, uh, Reverend Theriot talks about. Yeah, it's the the book, right? Apparently, the, the pictures fall out of. Yeah, apparently this is a completely made up book. Oh, okay. 
And but there is a little bit uh, some some people that were more steeped in the Lovecraft universe than I were trying to make a connection between this and a Necronomicon. Okay. Uh-huh. That there, if the there's like an official history of the Necronomicon that it was written in like 700 B, uh, 700 AD by some Arabian mystic, and it's this book of the dead, and it's got all this da- knowledge of the damned, and then the chain of custody at some point does pass through a 12th century friar, Franciscan friar, and again, this is the official bullshit Lovecraft. It's not. This is not historical fact. This is no. It's Lovecraftian stuff. Yeah, yeah, this is Evil Dead shit. Uh, so people are suggesting that maybe this book was a copy of the book of the dead, the the Necronomicon. Hmm. Okay. Uh, also interesting is that Austin Farrer, uh, is a real guy. Oh, he is? Yeah. He's an actual person and he's famous in theological circles for writing on dispensing with Q. Uh, Q is a term among biblical scholars, um, that refers to, uh, the wellspring, of inspiration for the gospels like you know they're so so okay. like you know the, the 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 way the gospels work is like matthew mark and luke are essentially telling the same story mm-hmm. and then john tells a completely different story so there's i guess this and i you know i i'm not this steeped in the bible stuff anymore but this cue is like people trying to find out what was the original source or what was the you know that there was a source before these others that these guys all wrote from a common you know maybe even a century later hmm. and this guy um, wrote treatises on how no you don't need an original source um, and that maybe that Mark actually was the original source for both Matthew and Luke um, so this could be so this so so in real life this guy was writing to expose the fact that you didn't need a wellspring or the wellspring was false. And here, this guy is potentially killed <laughs> for exposing the wellspring. You know, he had an accident. What do you want, huh? Yeah, yeah. The, the wellspring <laughs> initiative that the Tuttle Foundation started. No one really knows what this is all meaning, but yeah. it does seem to not be an accident that they're blending this pseudo history from Lovecraft with actual biblical scholarly work and using these terms like wellspring and 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 stuff. And again, yet another finger pointing at Tuttle. I mean, yeah, is there any, you know, I, I I've heard there's four fingers pointing back at us if 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 we're putting us, but I'm I'm not seeing where the other four fingers are pointing. Uh one's up one's up my narrow Irish ass and the other's <laughs> right in my eye. I don't know. There, there's one other thing I want to talk about in the psychosphere. You, okay. I'm I, I'm ready to smell it. I noticed while watching this episode, we talked in the the second episode when they find um or no it's the first episode when they go to the church and talk with father mazone from the wire mm-hmm. um and we we get a shot of rust with a couple of crosses up on the wall and him standing in the position father of, lester not father mazone oh okay my, my fault don't want to get the wire fans <laughs> yeah yeah you know. no they'll write in um <laughs> there's there are a couple crosses on the wall rust is in the left hand position we were saying how the, the penitent thief that's the penitent thief and that rust is that so in this episode, I noticed that when Rust leaves Tuttle's office, on the door are two crosses. And as as these, th- there's a lingering shot on Tuttle through the door. And as they close, you can see him between these two crosses. Does that mean that in that scenario, he would be Jesus? So you showed me this image. And then I started doing, because they aren't crosses in the Judeo-Christian sense of like, you know, one side longer than the other. Yeah, uh, you know, like you typically see as a cross, they're more like plus signs. Okay, and I did. I started researching that symbology, and that there, it really didn't go anywhere because, like, 
Uh, <laughs> you know, some Orthodox Greek churches use those as as crosses. He's not one of those things. And also neo-pagans use it as a symbol for their neo-paganism. Okay. So if, if, if there's a tenuous connection to the latter, is that actually to suggest that he's a false messiah? Could be. That these aren't true crosses that he's standing in the middle of. He is the ringleader, but it's more of a satanic or perversion of Christianity than yeah. a true Christian uh, but yeah, like I said, uh, all these images, uh, you could be looking at them right now. If you got the show notes on your on your podcast client, they're all they're all hyperlinks. So you can uh, check that out. And if it doesn't work on your web or your podcast for some reason, you can go to baldmove.com, find this article and all that stuff is, is listed uh, with the description and what order they appear. If you shop on Amazon, please remember to use our affiliate link at amazon.baldmove.com get the same great Amazon experience and we get a chunk of Amazon's profits just for sending you their way. If you'd like to send in your feedback, you can do so by emailing it to truedetective at baldmove.com. You can find all of our content at baldmove.com and participate in our discussion forums. Keep up with our latest release schedules by liking us on Facebook or following us on Twitter. 